want to start off with a question this morning, and a question just to be for you to ponder yourself. You can't answer it for somebody else. So, uh, and maybe they're a form of two questions, really, but here they are. What do you want to see happen in your life? What do you want to see happen in your life? Maybe you want to break it down. What do you want to see happen at your job? What do you want to see happen in your family, in your marriage, with your finances? What do you want to see happen with your kids, your grandkids? What do you want to see happen with your dreams, your hopes? That's kind of where we're going to be heading this morning and trying to answer that question On the things that we want to see happen, how do we find success in those things? Now, the reality is there's some things that we may want to happen that aren't in God's will. And so the beauty of of a relationship with God and the beauty of the Holy Spirit inside of us as God's children is God gives us discernment and wisdom and guidance on some of our desires and wants and, and, and what we want to happen to align with His Word, and that transforms over time. But have you ever sat down and just thought about that? What do I want to see happen in my marriage? What do I want to see happen with my kids? What do I want to see happen at my workplace? Or the people I associate myself with outside of uh, gathering at church on Sundays? What if I told you that there's a key to finding success in all the things that we want to see happen? Would you be interested? And it's not in like self-help books that you need to run to the store and get. It's not at Lifeway. Well, it is at Lifeway. It's, but it's not like a new book, um, a new title, a new author. It's not a new idea that's been out there. The key to all of our success and what we want to see happen in our marriages, at our jobs, with our kids, in our families, with our finances, with our hobbies, habits, the success over some struggles we may be having, all lies right here. It's all right here. And we're going to see how this plays out today as we open up to the book of Joshua. We are still in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be uh, spending today in verses 10 through uh, 18 once again. But as as I began looking at the news and, and and kind of that challenge I gave you all this last week about watching the news, reading the newspaper, and kind of looking through the lens of God and, and kind of what's going on in our government and what's going on with some of our political figures. And whether you agree with those individuals or not, that's not what we're debating um, and, and, and your political views. But here's the reality and what God's Word says about those individuals is God has put them there. No matter what party they are associated with, no matter what views they have in life, God has put them there for a reason. And as I watched the news this week and read articles about what's going on in the government, and, and I'll admit I won't bring up what certain things, but some of them made me laugh because I was, it reminded me of like little kids in elementary school and how like one of them gets upset and so like they all turn on the other one. And I mean, it just really became weird. And so we're in the midst of this government shutdown and and I, I can't imagine 
the pressure it would be as a president, and whether you agree with the president or not, again, not for debate, but as a president, a political figure, because as president, you're trying to rally all these other individuals from other parts of the country who all come with their own backgrounds, their own agendas, their own ideas, and they have people in their ear. And you're trying to rally them all together to be united and to come up with a, a successful conclusion so we can continue to move forward as a nation. And, and I began thinking about that and then taking that into approach of what we're looking through with Joshua. You know, the president has to deal with, you know, 500-some people that have been elected to office. Joshua had to deal with over a million. Over a million people trying to get them to do one task, to go one direction, and to have one successful plan be accomplished. I can't imagine the pressure that Joshua felt, which is most likely one of the other reasons that God comes to Joshua in the opening chapter 1 and has to reiterate over and over again for him to be strong and courageous. One of my favorite movies growing up as, as a high schooler was the movie uh, Remember the Titans. You all remember that movie? With Denzel Washington, he played Coach Herman Boone, and he got set into this school where there was an all-black football team, an all-white football team, and an all-black school, an all-white school, and they got brought together. And his goal was to make this team come together uh, to accomplish a successful season. So there's a lot of pressure riding on him. And the pivotal point in that movie is when he takes the team off to camp and the, the kids aren't getting along with one another because of some of their upbringing and some of their views on the other individuals on the team, but he takes them to camp, and one morning he wakes up really early, and they go for a nice, brisk morning jog, um, and they arrive at Gettysburg. And when they all get there exhausted, the whole team, uh, Denzel's character, Coach Boone, comes to the team and speaks over them that if we don't come together, we're going to be destroyed. If we don't come and be united, we're going to destroy ourselves. And though this movie depicts a football team, the importance of the message there is of unity. If we don't come together as God's people, we will destroy ourselves. If we don't come together as a nation, we will destroy ourselves. To be united is to be, is to have, to be joined together for a common purpose. Now here's the problem. You and I cannot force people to get along. We cannot force people to come to a united front. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look in God's word in the result of being united, not just to each other, but more importantly, to be united to the word of God and how God led them to success because they were united to his word and stood under his authority that was spoken over them. Whatever you want to see happen in your life, that was the opening question. You're going to run into moments of change. Would you all agree? You're going to see moments of progress. And you're going to have moments of uncertainty. These are all the things that are going on here in Joshua chapter 1 as Joshua is preparing to lead a group of well over a million people into the promised land, into what God has spoken over them. They're going to experience change. They're going to experience uncertainty. But they're also going to experience success and progress. 
The funny thing about God's church, or the body of believers, is that we are a ticking time bomb for destruction. You think about everybody who's gathered here this morning, one thing we all have in common is that we all wrestle with the sinful nature. I can't speak whether everyone here is saved or not. I don't know. You know where you are with God. But we all wrestle with the sinful nature. And one thing that the sinful nature wants us all to do is to get our own way. We are naturally selfish. We naturally look out for number one. We may, yes, we love our kids. We love everyone around us. But in reality, when it comes down to it, our sinful nature and the battle we're going to wrestle with is what is in it for me? How can I get through this? What is the best outcome for me? And as we gather together as the body of Christ, as the church, God's church and God's bride, here's what happens. You have a gathering of people who are saved by grace, who are a ticking time bomb for disunity. Because we naturally want what we want. And you maybe experience that in your own life, in your own experiences with the church, where you've seen havoc come into the church and disunity erupt and things begin to explode. Well, the worst message the Bible tells us that we can give to an unbelieving world is a people who are gathered together that are saved by grace but show no grace to one another. Because we are the body of Christ. When Jesus was here on this earth, he was the physical representation of God. People physically saw Jesus, heard Jesus' voice, looked him in the eyes, heard him laugh, heard him talk. They knew the tone of his voice. He was physically here. Now that he has ascended into the heavens, here's what he's done in Scripture. He has called his church, his bride, as his body. And so in the world today, the unbelieving world is to look to the body of Christ. We are the physical representation of Jesus Christ to the world. And so if we don't get along as the body of Christ and the people saved by grace, what message does that preach to the world? I believe it tells them that what we believe really isn't that important. It really hasn't changed. To get into the context of what's going on here in Joshua, Joshua got this massive group of people. Their history is this. When God has told them to go, they kind of want to stay. And when God has told them to stay, they kind of want to go. And so for 40 years under leadership of Moses, they have rebelled. They've heard what God has said and they've buckled against it. They've heard what God said not to do and they decided to do it. And now Joshua, who did not have the exact same relation that Moses had with the Lord, now Joshua has been commissioned to lead this people of rebels, this people that are struggling with their sinful nature, just like you and me, to pose this united front as they step into the promise of God. And Joshua knows this. If the people of God do not unite under the authority of God's word spoken over them, they will meet destruction. They will be destroyed. And so the Lord comes to Joshua and he tells him the game plan on how to get this massive amount of people to come together so God's glory can be revealed. And so I want us to walk through this because what scripture, what scripture does point out is a, when a disunity happens between God's people, bad things happen. Abraham and Lot separated because there's disunity within the camp. 
It put Lot in a bad situation. The nation of Israel, during their wanderings, broke unity with God. And over time, even when they got into the promised land, even though they were under God's word and followed his guidance, it was this unity of the nation that caused them to break their allegiance with God and begin to commit idolatry. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was crucified because the people of God were not unified in their understanding of who he was. Yet the Bible reveals that God is moving us all back to a place of unity. We just sang it in a song a few minutes ago. The Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's coming a point where God is taking all of us, whether we're saved or not, to this place of unity where we will all be united in this understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. The sad thing is for many people on this planet, It'll be too late. So how do we get there today? How do we find success in our relationships and our families and our workplaces and with our peers today? Let's read the the text and then we'll walk through it. Beginning in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 1. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. The Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives, you, gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possessions and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered, Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. And just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses." Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. First thing I want us to see this morning as we walk through this and understand this unity is this was not Joshua's plan. And we've kind of hit on that several times in the last couple of weeks. This was God's plan. And when you look in the text here and after God gives his narration instruction to Joshua in the opening verses of Joshua chapter one, you look what Joshua does to the camp. You know, I love movies like Braveheart and those war movies where at some point in time, the leader has to stand before his army and give this awesome, like charging command. So all the people are willing to go out and fight, even if it means death. But we look here in the passage, Joshua doesn't give a Braveheart type of speech. What Joshua does is he speaks over the people the word that God has already spoken him over him. The life in Israel was changing. They had new leadership. They had a new place they were going to be walking to. They had a new way of hearing from God. And they had a different task ahead of them. There's a lot of life-changing moments going on in the life of Israel. And that's what happens in us. Life changes. In the midst of life changing, the temptation that always comes is we want to resist it. We want to stop it. But what we see here in Scripture, when in, in the midst of change, it was the Word of God that unified the people. 
In the midst of the change, it was the word of God that unified the people. And this goes all the way back to the speaking of the covenant to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God called him out, called him into change. And as God spoke his word over him, Abraham trusted. When God sent Moses into Israel, God was calling them out of bondage and slavery. And God spoke the covenant over them and revealed who he was as he called them into change. But he unified them under his word spoken to their ancestors. As we come to this place and we hear of Joshua taking leadership, it was the word of God spoken over Joshua in the midst of the change that was to unify the people. As they step into the plan of God, it was the word of God. Notice how many times, just in that passage right there in verse 10 through 18, where God speaks of things happening as if they've already happened. I am giving you this to possess. I am taking you to this land. This land is mine to give you. It was God's plan and he spoke his word over the plan in the midst of their change and uncertainty to unify them under the word. And it was the success of the people of God being under the authority of God's word, united as that front that would give them success to where God was taking them. I said this last couple of weeks that what we hold in our hands or on our phones or in our tablets, this word is truth. Now just think about how we use that word today. This word is truth. Now when I say that this word is truth and when we shake our head, yes, I believe this word is truth, we need to understand the entire context of what that means. What we're saying is this word is truth in all aspects of my life and everything that God has spoken is spoken in this word so I can find success in my life because God's desire is that I find prosperity and welfare in my life. That doesn't mean he wants me to be rich. God doesn't want us to be attached to this world more to him, but God wants good things for his children. That's because he's a loving father. And so everything that he has spoken and given to us by his spirit and written down for us is for our success. As life continues to change, one thing, because this is truth, is I can continue to go back to this, whether it's 1960 or 2019, and know that everything in here is the eternal word of God that will stand for time. And it'll impact my relationships, it'll impact my finances, it'll impact my marriage, my future marriage, it'll impact my kids, my grandkids, it'll impact this church, it'll impact my job and my coworkers, and my peers. If I unite under God's word, no matter what changes in my life, no matter changes in my world, this is truth and never changes. That's what it means when we say, I believe the Bible is true. No matter what changes going on in my life, I can turn to this because I have a God who loves me and he's given me everything I need for life and godliness and it's found in this word. One writer wrote that the battle we have is with sin and what sin is, is every sin dethrones divine wisdom and enthrones human wisdom. Every sin is basically saying this. God, I know better than your truth. 
I know better than you. I know you're all-knowing. I know you're all-powerful. I know you can do all things and nothing is impossible with you. I know you saved me for some reason I'll never understand, but when I sin, I'm basically saying, God, you may have gotten this one thing wrong. Because I think it would work better if we do it this way. That's what Israel goes through. God gives them success, gives them prosperity, gives them the land of His promise, gives them the revelation of His Word. And they got complacent. And they basically came to this point, you know what, God? I know that worked then. But right now, I think it would work better if we did it this way. And so they dethrone divine wisdom and they enthrone sinful wisdom. They deny truth. And change, because they were not united under the word of God, change began to destroy them. Before God sent Israel and Joshua into the land, this is what he spoke over in Deuteronomy chapter 12. He said, be careful. Parents, you ever say that to your kids? Careful. <laughs> sometimes it's because they're talking back and you're like, mm-hmm. But sometimes it's, you know, whoa, 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 be careful. God says, be careful. Speaking to his kids, be careful. Be careful to obey all these words that I commanded you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. And when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord, your God. I think sometimes we, even as Christians, are just like some people who aren't Christians, is that the reason we struggle with Christianity and we struggle with church is because we hear about the Bible and our immediate thought is there's so many do's and don'ts. There's so many rules and commands. I mean, I, don't, I want to live my life. I want to do the way things I want to do them. I basically want to be in charge of me. And so we take the lead and we take, we take control of our own life. And, and sometimes it works out for people and sometimes it doesn't. But when we look at the word of God and we know it is truth and we see all these do's and don'ts and we think, I don't really want to do that or I'm not sure about that one. We're first telling God, you know, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. But then we're not realizing the reason for the commands that God gives us in his word. You see, if you read through the most you know, exhilarating parts of scripture, the end of Exodus and Leviticus and, and parts of Deuteronomy, and you see when God says, don't do this, but do this, you'll also see when God tells, tells his people not to do something, he delivers a warning that if they were to do it, this is what's going to happen. And so in God's commands and in God's rules, God reveals his mercy. See, God gives us commands and rules. God sets up boundaries in our life, one, because he created life. But ultimately, God's commands and rules are a gift of God's grace and mercy. Because God knows when you live outside of the way he designed life to be, when we do that, We'll never find fulfillment. We'll never find the joy he wants us to have. We'll never find peace, satisfaction. But the temptation we all wrestle with is, okay, maybe we could try it this way. Maybe I can make my own peace. Maybe I can make my own joy. 
Well, here in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua comes to this fear-filled, weak group, sinful people. And he does not come with his own wisdom. He does not come with his own words of motivation. What Joshua does, he delivers the word of God to which God delivered to him. He takes the commands of God and puts it onto the people of God because for Joshua, he understood for he and the people to be successful, it was going to be under the authority of God. If they were going to find progress in God's promise, they were going to have to have the authority of God and his spoken word over them to be the only thing that leads them. Because it's in the midst of their progress, it was the word of God that was to continually to guide them. And that's the way it's supposed to be in our life. If we want to see progress in our life, then the word of God has to be the only thing that is guiding us towards that progress. In verse 7, the word of the Lord says, Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Not turn from it to the right or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This is what God wants for our life. The problem with progress, though, is this. We can be praying for certain things to happen, and when they happen, we become spiritually complacent. I mentioned that happened with Israel, but I've seen this numerous times in my own time in ministry. People begin seeking after God. They begin trusting God. And one of the ways that we really battle with trusting God comes with the tithe and comes with money. The reason I've been reading this book about redeeming money, which is an excellent book, John Paul Tripp, John Tripp, Tripp's in the name. Um, <laughs> but it's about redeeming money. And he brings up this issue that Jesus, in his time in ministry, when he was teaching, Jesus spoke more about money than he did about hell. Because Jesus understood when we live this life, we are more apt to align ourselves to material things and the things that money, we feel money can give us more than we can to the kingdom of God. And how this plays into here is that when we see progress, when we start to see God move and God being faithful to his word, one way we see it a lot is in the terms of money. In my time in ministry, I've had several times of counseling where people have come to me and they talk about financial issues they're going through. Now, I'm not a financial guru or anything like that. I basically ripped from different people and and I've applied it and we're still figuring it out, right? Yeah, I mean, that's just part of life. But They'll come to me and I'll, I'll just say, all right, well, just tell me your story. Tell me what's going on. Because, you know, I, I try to be a good listener. I don't always succeed at that, but I try to be a good listener. And as they begin to unravel their story in their life and they talk about, man, I remember we were coming to church all the time. We were tithing. We were reading our Bible. We were seeking after God. We were involved. And then I got this promotion my wife got this promotion and our kids started doing all this stuff and they were finding success in, in their sports and at school and the activities they're involved with. We just got busy. And we started going all these places and doing all these things and our calendars just got so full. See, what happened was the story started that they were seeking God, they were trusting God. They were aligning their life under the authority of the word of God. But then when prosperity and progress began to come in their life, 
God started to get cut out little by little. And every single time, this is what I've heard, every single, whether it's been finances or marriage, counseling or relationship issues or parenting issues, every single time this comment comes up, I mean, it's like 99.95%. I don't know how we got here. They see the bills stacking up. They see the marriage falling apart. They see the families in dysfunction. They're overwhelmed with stress. And every single time, it's almost a given. I just kind of wait for that line to come out because then it's almost my invitation to begin sharing from God's word, not my wisdom, because I'd just make it more of a mess. I don't know how we got here. The reality is, after we see God actually be faithful to his truth, what we can tend to do is we can tend to wander away from that truth. We can align ourselves to it and we see God actually being faithful to his own word and his own truth. And then we, we get to this point, our, our arrogance, and I'm guilty of this too, but our arrogance is this. God, thanks for that rough time, but I got this now. I can handle it. And that was the very last thing that God wanted his people here in Joshua to do. And that's the very last thing that God wants you to do with your life. It's to trust him in the valleys. But when you get to the mountains, be like, all right, I got this now. Because God knows that path leads to destruction. That's why he says, do not turn to the right hand or to the left. In the midst of progress, it was the Word of God that was to continually to guide the people of God, and that's in our life as well. Because the truth of Scripture is when we pursue after anything other than God, we will never find the satisfaction and the results we desire. Here again, when we pursue after anything other than God, His Word, given to us by His Spirit, written for all eternity. We pursue after anything other than what is in the truth. You and I will never find the desires or the satisfaction that we want to see happen. It's impossible. Joshua knew this. See, in the story here, Joshua is the only one outside of Caleb that has actually been where the Israelites are going. Joshua is the only one outside of Caleb that has actually gone and seen these fortified cities. He's seen these armies. He's seen how tall these people really are. Joshua knew that these people that have been trained to walk for 40 years are getting ready to go into a land where the people in that land aren't going to look at Israel like, oh, well, I guess it's our time to leave. They weren't just going to hand it over. And yet if you notice what Joshua is told to command the people in verse 11, he says, pass through the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. That word provisions in verse 11 has nothing to do with military action. The word provision speaks of food and necessities, not weapons of war. 
Uh, now, if I'm in camp and you're in camp and you know where you're going and you know some of the stories grandma and grandpa have told you or mom and dad have told you, you know, about this fortified city and these armies and these like, you know, mega tall people and at least a pitchfork, right? But see, Joshua understood this. Our success is not about what we bring to the table. Our success is not about what we can do in this promise. Our success relies upon trusting in the word of God because Joshua understood this. Every battle that we face, whether it's a physical army or the battle in your life with your family or whatever you're going through, every battle belongs to the Lord. And so the provisions we are called to take is everything we need to get through this battle. And we need truth. That's what we need. We need truth. And we get into the truth. We notice that Jesus says everything that we can worry about and everything that we can be anxious about, everything that we can stress over, don't do it. Why? Because God already knows what we need. So what's Jesus' instruction? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But this is our battle. This is my battle. God, I know what you say, but I'm a pastor after all. I, I do know a few things, God. That's arrogance. And success and progress will never come through that tactic. Joshua understood this in the midst of uncertainty. It was the word of God that was going to strengthen, empower, and encourage the people. You may be in the midst of uncertainty right now. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know what's going to happen with so-and-so. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. If you have kids, you understand that. I mean, I mean Monday's coming, right? And they're home. <laughs> right? I mean, there's just uncertainty just comes. But Joshua stood in the midst of uncertainty, it was the word of God which was true, the word of God that would never change. So it was going to be the word of God that was going to strengthen and empower him and encourage him to get through that uncertainty. Notice what God says over and over again. Three times God reminds his people, I'm giving you this land to possess it. And every time that God reminds his people that I am giving you, this, this plan has already come to fruition. I've already seen how it plays out. Every time what God does is he reminds them of his continual presence. I'm giving you this land. I'm giving you success. I'm giving you the plans of life. And in the midst of these plans, I'm also putting my presence upon you. Whoo. That's a God is for you. Verse 11. Joshua tells people, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. Because Joshua understood this plan wasn't going to be accomplished by force or numbers or even a really good strategy. I mean, just think of the first strategy. Yeah, city over there, why don't you go walk around it for a few days and then blow your horns as loud as you can. The success of God's people in Joshua wasn't relying upon their ability. The success we, in what we want to see happen isn't relying upon us, but is relying upon God's mercy and God's grace. The success of God's people in Joshua was relying upon God's spoken word and in result, God's people to be obedient to what God has already spoken. 
That's for us too. What we desire or dream or hope will happen in our life, maybe with our kids, we are incapable of producing those things in our own power. But when we align ourselves to God's word and we're relying upon what God has already spoken and we are obedient to it, we begin to see in the midst of all of our uncertainty and question and stress and worry, God's faithfulness. So it begins by us this morning having a conviction and commitment to the word of God. Finally, we see the unity of God's people with under God's authority through his word is what was going to be paramount to the success of God's people in God's word. Here's reality. It's very simple, but it's very hard for us to grasp because it's hard for me to grasp. God's word is given to us to give us life and life abundantly. Jesus says, if you abide in me, you'll have life and have it abundantly. That word is overflowing. To abide in Jesus is to abide in the living word of God. That's the promise of God. Jesus said that apart from me, you can do nothing. Everything we hope to happen, everything we hope to see come to fruition in our life is impossible without Jesus Christ. Yet, like I've mentioned at the very beginning, we're all sinners. We're all rebellious people. And so we all think we have a better plan. We all arrogantly tell God that he may be God, but we know just a little bit better. So when we do that, we not only rebel against God's authority and we rebel against his, rebel against his word, but we waste the blessings of what God wants to do in our lives. And not only in our lives, but the people's lives around us. See, the, the rebellion of Israel wasn't just going to impact one Israelite. It was going to impact the whole camp. And I think we've seen that play out in churches too. And I know some of your all stories in churches you've experienced, some of them, You've had great experiences, praise the Lord, but some of us have had those churches where we've seen them move away from the Word of God and they basically told God, I know this is your bride, but I think I know how to treat her better than you, God. And they destroy themselves. But we're called to be one body, working together. Jesus said that all people would know that we're his disciples by the way we love one another. So my question this morning is, do we want to see the desires of our heart manifested? Do we want to know that an unbelieving world can look at the way we live our life and know that we belong to the one and true God? Do we want to be sure that the life we are living is worthy of salvation? And do we want to live a life that is overflowing with joy? Hear it again. You can say yes to any of these. Do you want to see the desires of your heart manifested? Say no, then we'll pray for you here in a moment. Do you want to know that people can look at the way you're living your life and know that you belong to God? You don't even have to say anything. They just know it. You belong to God. Do you want to be sure that the life you're living is worthy of the salvation you've been given? And do you want to live a life that is overflowing with joy? Doesn't that sound good? 
Here's the thing. These results are only possible through our personal commitment to the Word of God. And He gave it to us. The key to success is right here. It's not about new laws being made or new people being voted into positions. This nation will never be a great nation until this nation turns to God. And the only way this nation is going to turn to God is when God's people have conviction to God's word that they're going to stand upon it because they know this is the truth. So let's, do a, let's stop shaking our heads to people who don't know God. Stop shaking our heads and judging people who don't know God's word. Let's look at our own hearts and say, you know what? Am I living by what God has spoken over me? And are people able to see that this is my measuring rod. This is what is leading my life. For me this morning, I mean, this this week, it's just been a week of, okay, and God's been working on me. He's really been transforming. He's been putting thoughts in my head that, man, I didn't, I know weren't mine. But this is where it all comes down to a time of a response. God, am I Submitting to the authority of your word. Am I submitting my finances to your word? Am I submitting my marriage to your word? Am I submitting my time to your word? Am I submitting my kids to your word? My hobbies, my habits. Is it all under the authority of your word? Because Scripture shows when I'm united to the Word of God, I will find what God wants for my life. But you may be here this morning and you're like, man, Pastor, I don't, why would I want to surrender to a book? Let alone a God I'm not sure if I believe in. Well, if you look here in Joshua real quick, in verse 18, the two and a half tribes, they say, whoever rebels against your commandment, and what they, they understood that Joshua was, Instruction commands were the commands of God. But whoever rebels against your command or the commands of God and disobeys your words, which were the words of God, whatever you commanded him or them, they shall be put to death. At some point in time, sin leads to that word right there at the end of verse 18. Death. That's where sin goes. Sin leads to death. Now, the two and a half tribes were speaking about death in, in the physical sense, that they were going to, they were going to put him to death. They were going to, to kill them for the sanctity of the Word of God and the, the, the authority of God's Word. But the reality is, is when we sin, when we rebel against the Word of God, when we say, eh, maybe, it leads to not only a physical death, but a spiritual death. And this is what Jesus Christ came to remedy in our lives is that if I have yet to accept Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection for my sin, which leads to death, if I have yet to put my faith in that, my hope in that, then I am still in my sin. And death here, in verse 18, is death to me. Because that means I am dead to the blessings of God. I'm dead to the promises of God. They don't get to come true in my life until I'm adopted as a child of God. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, our arrogance is this. Well, you know, I am a good person. I, I do things all right. I mean, I'm on church on Sunday, and it's really cold outside. That's got to count for something. 
But before we go in that direction, let's be thankful that God doesn't tack up our righteous points alongside our wickedness points. Our God is a great God because when we place our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, He takes all of our sin, all of our wickedness, and removes them completely. And all He sees in us is not our righteousness, not what we can do, but the complete, perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't have to prove anything to Him. Jesus paid it all. He finished it. And now I just want to live in obedience to His Word because I want to know why God would love me that much. But you may be here this morning and be like, you know what? Hmm. I don't know if I believe that, but here's the reality. You know you're going to die. The Bible says the reason we die is because of sin. And if your sin isn't taken care of, you will die in your sin and be completely separated from God forever in a place the Bible calls hell. But that's not what God wants for your life. So we come this time of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come. If you know that's you. God doesn't say you have to have it all figured out. You have to have every answer to every question you've got. He simply invites you to come to accept his gift. And if that's you, just come down and say, Pastor Mike, that's me. I want to, I want to be saved. And I want to talk more about this this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and God has stepped on your toes as he's been stepping on my toes all week. So you all did it for 40, 50 minutes, however long that, you know, I can go. <laughs> I know you're praising Jesus every time we do it a little bit longer, but I did it all week. God works on my heart all week with this. And so I've been on my knees several times this week. This time response is, I'm just inviting you to join me where I've already been. To come before the Father and say, God, I'm sorry. In my sin and in my arrogance, I thought I knew better than you. And repent. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, this is truth. It's truth for us here. It's truth for every individual we know. Whether they've accepted it or not, whether they believe in it or not, it is truth. It's truth for this nation and for this world because you've given it to us as truth. Father, I do pray for this nation. I pray for our leaders. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would move in such a way through your children upon the leaders of this nation, people you've placed in certain positions to begin seeking after you because Lord I know that no matter what decisions are made during the next week no matter what laws are passed or what agreements are made behind closed doors Lord until this nation begins seeking after you we will never see the blessings you want to give this nation I pray for this church Lord this is your church your bride your body and I know that Satan wants to come in here and put in little half truths that are complete lies destroy us take away your glory and the work you're doing Lord as your people let us unite under the authority of your word knowing that it is good sometimes it is hard but it is for our ultimate benefit so I, I pledge myself I pledge my marriage my family my 
finances, our house, to you. And give me the wisdom by the power of your spirit to know how all those things can align to what they need to be. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ and what you've laid upon their hearts through your spirit. You've spoken to them in such a way that I wouldn't even be able to comprehend. But it's become this moment of response that they would be not just hearers of your word, but doers. Finally, Lord, I pray for those who have yet to meet you as their Lord and Savior. Whatever battle, whatever wrestling match they have going on in their heart, this moment I pray you open their minds and their hearts to not only hear your word, but to accept it. Lord, in all things, we come this time of response that you alone be glorified, your kingdom would come, and your will would be done in this place. Forgive me if I failed you in any way. Praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.